a conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Tim Matthews. We are not talking about Mission Impossible this time, but we are talking about something that is equally as fun, in my opinion. (laughs) There is no Tom Cruise running, though. There is not, but a lot of other people run. That's true. A lot of people. (laughs) Today we're talking all about The Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix adaptation that came out on October 12th of 2018. So this one is fairly recent. Tim, you had a chance to rewatch it, though, and I did not because time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I finished uh, finished up my rewatch uh, a couple days ago. So I've had a I've had the past two days to slowly crawl out of my emotional hole that this show leaves me in. <laughs> yeah. Did you read the book before watching this? Uh, I did not. Um, I did start reading it after I finished watching uh, the show the first time, but then, you know, content is everywhere and I and yeah. I fell behind. <laughs> it's pretty different from this because... That's I, my understanding. I think yeah. just based on, you know, the time the book was written and everything, they modernized it a little. And I think they did something that allowed you to have a completely different dynamic with the characters that fit a lot better for a 10 episode series yeah but i think the movie is very very highly regarded as almost like a perfect adaptation of the book so i i think i saw somewhere that they were pretty much just like we're not we're not touching a like classic adaptation of of this like it's been done it's perfect we're gonna do our own take on it that still keeps within the spirit of the book but provide something fresh yeah the first adaptation to film was 1963 and then there was another movie done in 1999 and they both went by the haunting so right the 63 version i believe is that one that's sort of that's the one that everyone loves the other one not so much (laughs) yeah yeah i don't blame them i believe the latter was also parodied and a scary movie so (laughs) if that's happening maybe not so great but yeah it it just depends and I think taking the creative liberty with this series it did add something different and you know I might have liked this more than I liked the book not that the book was bad but I just felt like because of the family dynamic in this one it was a different approach that turned out to work really well Okay, so you have read the book? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm t- I'm excited to uh to read it. I've heard, you know, really great things, but it I almost feel like I I will I might be at some disadvantage after watching it watching the show twice that I'm just going to have to put myself in a different mind space for the book and you know, know that it's going to be different. Yeah. I I don't want to give too much away, but I think, you know, the the main difference is I believe in the book it's strangers versus a family. Okay. In the show. Interesting. You know, it's like the Hill House is pretty much the same from what I gathered. Cool. So hopefully that doesn't spoil too much for you. To be fair, though, the book is from like 1959. Oh, yeah. So. No, it, it, it's 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 beyond spoiler territory. That's. <laughs> I think once um, a book hits the classic <laughs> title, it's like, okay, yeah. yeah, you know, a lot of people know what happens in a lot of classic books without necessarily having had read them. Absolutely. And, but no, the, I mean, those details definitely intrigued me to uh, 
to get back to it soon. And it's a short read too, which helps. Yeah. Yeah, and it's Shirley Jackson, so I, you know, she doesn't she doesn't let anyone down. But I want to dive into the cast and characters in this because you have a core group of characters, but you have different versions of them. So you have the past, which is where you have Carla Gugino as the mom and Henry Thomas as Hugh Crane. So my boy Elliot. <laughs> you have these parents who move to this big, massive house. You might as well call it a mansion because let's be honest, that's what it is. But it's oh yeah, creepy <laughs> too. You know, it just has this creepy factor right from the start. And you have all of their kids growing up in this house. And it's funny because I was actually familiar with one of the kids, McKenna Grace. She had been on designated survivor i believe so you know i was like oh i recognize her even though she wasn't immediately recognizable because her hair color is different in this yeah now i see it yeah i think she did a pretty nice job with this because it's like yeah you know i could see a young theo being just like this (laughs) Mm -hmm. and of, of the of the kids i feel like she has i feel like she has uh some of the tougher the tougher like emotional uh, scenes to to tackle like yeah and, and especially because she comes off almost lack of emotion but it, it feels like in a character way not in a she's like acting in a stilted way um and yet yeah, so her scenes are, are very very effective yeah and i think out of the kids in general she stood out the most just because you know theo is a unique character anyway either as an adult or as a child so you have that going for the character and then you have Paxton Singleton who plays the young version of Stephen Crane and you know he's kind of like your typical teenage kid I feel like so it, it wasn't really anything in particular that stood out with him but I will probably butcher his name because he is Dutch but it looks like a version of Michael Huisman or something to that effect. He plays the older Stephen Crane, who is a writer, and he has taken these experiences and sort of distanced himself from his family because of it, because they didn't think he really had the right to tell these stories without, you know, all of them being behind the idea. Yeah. But overall, you know, just with some of the names in this, especially having Timothy Hutton and... Annabeth Gish, Carla Gugino, even Kate Siegel, who is married to Mike Flanagan, who did the adaptation, you have these names that you might know for different reasons. And, you know, Kate Siegel, she's been in a few things that her husband has done. So I watched another movie and it was another horror movie with her in it. And even though this is a TV series, I feel like that's sort of a genre she kind of shines in. Oh, yeah, definitely. The guy that plays Mr. Dudley, Robert Longstreet. Yeah. It's like I'm looking at his IMDb and I actually actually don't recognize like really much of anything. But there's something about him that when I'm when I'm watching him in the show, he has one of those faces and mannerisms that I'm just like he's he's one of those like that guys that I'm like, I've seen you in a ton of stuff. Yeah. And he's and he's super recognizable. But I but then I look at his IMDb and I'm like, nope, haven't seen Almost any of this. Um, I think I don't feel at home in this world anymore is probably where I'm 
recognizing him from the Elijah Wood movie on Netflix. Yeah, I thought it was funny too when James Lafferty popped up in a recurring role because he's someone I just know from watching One Tree Hill. And I think out of <laughs> all of the actors and their experiences, that one just stood out the most to me. I was like, oh, that's very odd for him to pop up in this horror thing, even though I know he's been doing a lot of sort of indie movies and stuff like that since the One Tree Hill days. I don't think I've really seen too much that he's worked on since. Right. So it was just kind of like a pleasant surprise. <laughs> <laughs> But I think one of the main things with this show, other than it being adapted from one of the most well-known horror novels, is just how much you get a sense for the characters and the fact that the house really feels like a character. And I think that's something that's super important because if this series doesn't nail the feeling of the house and the tone and everything in there, this probably falls apart. Oh, 100%. And like, that's always like, you know, it that's always among like the discussions in like genre films and everything. It's like, oh, is the, is the town a character, you know, or is, you know, the hotel a character or anything like that. And, you know, sometimes I feel like it's like, yeah, kind of, but it's, you know, somewhat of a stretch, I guess it, you know, it's there, but it's more setting a tone. Like this is definitely one of the more active characters for an inanimate object. Um, I mean, the house is uh, the house is a monster. You know, it's actively you know feeding on the inhabitants. Uh, you know, within it. You know, very much like when we talked about The Shining, that hotel is very much a character uh, in the same way that it's you know from the second you're you're inside the power of this of this location is trying to find little little bits of weaknesses and making you making you jump here or there to set you you know just off kilter so that when you're not paying attention it can swoop in and sink its teeth into you and the this show does it so incredibly effectively um not only with like the obvious things of you know when we you know physically see the ghosts and everything, which I absolutely love that the ghosts are done practically. I thought that was an amazing choice. Um, but, uh, but also the fact that Mike Flanagan, uh, decides to, uh, be kind of a jerk and hide, uh, ghosts in the background yeah. <laughs> throughout the, the series. And you'll just be sitting there and you're watching a scene. You're just in, enjoying the scene. You're like, Oh yeah. Like I'm into, you know what what they're saying and everything and then you just kind of notice something in your peripheral that's just that hasn't moved but just doesn't look natural to the scene and then you realize what it is and you're just like ah no 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 i'm good i'm good <laughs> i'll never forget the first the first one i spotted and then it was like it was kind of hard sometimes i i was trying to watch the characterization of the house in the background almost too much that I was like, no, 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 I need to, I, I missed what they were saying because I was like watching the background too much so that I wouldn't get spooked again. I think that's what makes a show like this so rewatchable though, even though I haven't had the time to do that. But when I- I can confirm read, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, when I read the article that mentioned that, I was like, oh man, I feel like I missed out on so much now. And <laughs> so maybe eventually I will have some time to go- 
rewatch it if they do end up doing a second season or something like that, which we will discuss in due time. But yeah. I think talking about the plot is crucial, obviously, because you have different time periods. So we've sort of talked yeah. about how the Crane family, when the kids were still pretty young, moved into this house. I don't really remember why but I don't think that's what was really important about it I think it was more hey you know we're kind of starting over and this is where we're starting over yeah basically it seems like they're they're like I don't know if that's the right term for them but like house flippers so they bought hill house ah yes because the mom is like a either architect or designer I believe yeah. it's something to that effect because she has all of her plans laid out and she has this big drafting desk. So I would guess architect. <laughs> yeah. The way it's portrayed makes it seem like they, they've they done this a number of times, but that this is supposed to be like the, you know, this is the big one that it's like, we're going to get all our money from this one. And then the next house is our forever house that we see the plans that she's drawn up uh, of them uh, throughout the series. Um, And so it seems like the plan is just come in, fix this house up over the summer, sell it. And then we move into our forever house and we all get to settle down and we're not moving around anymore, which of course doesn't work out. Yeah. Not a lot works out at this house. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. So the kids grow up there and eventually they part ways and they seem a little spread out. You know, a couple live near each other and then you have Luke, who is sort of the disaster child, so to speak. He is a drug addict and he is sort of the one who is always screwing up. And you have so much tragedy in this family because the mom, Olivia, dies in the house and we don't really get that full story until later in the series because we're still seeing her with the kids and her husband and everything in the past moments and then we know she's not around in the present day so you sort of get to slowly piece things together yeah all we know in the beginning is that something happens in the middle of the night and Hugh has loaded all the kids up in the car. He goes and gets Steve and he says to him, you know, close your eyes, whatever you do, don't look. He gets Steve out to the car. All the kids are freaking out. Where's mom? Where's mom? And uh, one of them says, you know, they see her in the window and Hugh says, that's not mom. And he drives off. And that is all we really know for a large majority of the, of the season. And then it's just slowly unfolding more and more information about how we get to that night. Yeah. And, you know, obviously who they see in the window looks like their mom. Oh, yeah. So they're not going to know that it's not her, even if their dad says so. They're like, nope, that looks like her, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if we're seeing her, is she really dead? Yeah. And adult Steve, he harps on like mental illness running in the family. That's like a big a big theme for him. And then the the kids, we we kind of learned that Hugh's never been upfront with them about what happened, you know, that that night at the the house. All they know is that their mother killed herself. But 
I, f- I feel like there, there are a couple times with Steve, he kind of subtly accuses like his father of of um of hurting her because i guess of some details in the police report of like some bruises and like the way that the way that she fell and stuff um uh that it you know seems like she was pushed which you know we learn how that happens later but um but so there's definitely this great tension of dad rushed us out of there our mom killed herself and none of us have have ever uh have ever known why and it's just that that tension seems to just have have built and and burrowed between everyone and then everyone is scattered and their relationships and how close they are with you know certain ones of each other uh seem to vary depending steve definitely seems to be the most kind of on the outside yeah i think in a way steve feels like his dad just abandoned their mother Mm -hmm. because he just gets them out of there and you know they can clearly see her in the window you have that moment where the cops show up and take the dad away and it sort of sinks in that something has happened to their mom but they still don't really know the truth right so to them it's like okay did he just hurt her is she gone for good or you know what's kind of going on here and you know obviously present day they know at least somewhat know what happened. But like you said, their dad has never been been forthcoming with it. Yeah. And I think sort of just piecing things together throughout the show, because this isn't information we get all in the first episode. You know, I feel like in the first episode, that red room is kind of the big deal. And it we're led to believe that that's going to have some massive importance just because of how much they focus on it in that first episode and it does end up being important to be fair it's just exactly maybe not quite what anyone was expecting <laughs> right yeah the whole i mean the whole fir- first episode we're getting a little bit of details from the past and you know seeing them start to settle like in the house you know trying to get into the red room but can't get into the red room but the the main like key moment at the within within the uh the first episode is all of them kind of waking up in the middle of the night and one of them says uh nelly's in the red room and all of them are like waking up and holding holding their throat you know startled and then the end the ending of episode one has steve uh walking up to his apartment um he sees luke who he thinks is is robbing him because he's gonna take that stuff and sell it for drugs. Um, he ends up, you know, making a deal with Luke, and Luke goes off. Steve goes up to, up to his apartment, and Nell's in there, and he's just talking to Nell, you know, as if she's there. And he's like, "I can't believe you." He's like, "I can't believe you stood there while you know he was, you know, st- stealing from me." And and then his dad calls and tells him that Nell's dead. And that's when he looks and he sees that Nell's standing in uh, uh, in his apartment. And so it's like that all that in the first episode. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And not and not much happens kind of on a spooky factor until that final moment. And then the, the following episodes after that take us from the perspective of like each of the kids leading them up to the moment of like when they they uh, they wake up and uh in the middle of the night and within those storylines um we get a bit more of the past of each character so it's 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 
it's such a unique and an interesting structure and it's done so well because I mean that bouncing around in timelines and everything it can go wrong really easily but Mike Flanagan he does it so well so that each of those episodes is still super compelling even though you're get you're getting you know some repeat information but all that repeat information is really key and then when reveals come later you're so happy that you had all of that information because it makes that impact land that much harder or yeah that much stronger plus once we find out about Nell's death at the end of that first episode you almost feel like this might be something that can finally bring the family together but it yeah doesn't quite do that like you would expect when a sibling dies because it seems like for the most part you know Nell had her quirks and her issues but she seemed like the sibling that everyone still cared about right on some level at least yeah and you know with Shirley being a mortician and (laughs) you know working with the dead one you know that seems kind of fitting given everything this family has gone through but then to be working on her own sister you know that throws a whole new dynamic in because there are all these emotions and she's trying to work through them even though it's something she probably should delegate to someone else she's like no this is my sister yeah I know I'll do it the right way and this is how it's going to be it's like it's the only way that she could process it is to just do it herself but while everyone else is like this is a terrible idea why would you why would you put yourself through this but it's like I I feel like she wouldn't I feel like she would spiral out that much more if somebody else was doing it. It's her way of coping with it. You know, she knows this is real. She knows this has happened. She's literally working on her own sister. You know, she can't deny that it's happening, even though, you know, that's one of the levels of grief, denial and everything. But I feel like, you know, she hasn't fully accepted it, but she needs to do this in order to sort of go through the motions with her grieving process and she's very clinical about it yes even though you can tell she's very emotional about it oh yeah 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 and and like you said it's it's the type of event that you think you know oh it'll bring them together and you know they'll be stronger and you know help each other through it and you that doesn't that doesn't happen initially like it physically brings them all together because they all come to the the funeral home but it's brought them all together and all the all the things that they've all burrowed up, um, you know, inside them uh, about themselves, about each other now is all in the same location and is going to start uh, is going to start boiling and then all come out and, and come to a head, which it does uh, in episode six, I believe, which is one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite episodes of this, the series. And yes. also, I, I think one of. Uh, episodes five and six are some of like the finest pieces of television that uh that i've seen in a in a long time and it blew it still blew me away even the second time like knowing everything that was coming oh absolutely we will definitely have some cinematography to discuss (laughs) after we get through a few other things here but you know luke and nell being twins offers an even different dynamic on top of that because even though luke is in no state to be any sort of adult really (laughs) you know he has this connection 
with Nell. And, you know, I've been hearing this about twins for as long as I can remember. They just have this different connection than other siblings do. And as an only child, I would have no idea what either <laughs> of those connections would be like, either twin or just a regular sibling. But <laughs> you really get that sense in this. And I think the two actors did a very nice job of portraying that even through all of their tough moments because you know Luke really does look like he's on something for most of these episodes and obviously you can thank the makeup crew for that and everything too just you know (laughs) sort of making him look run down all the time and you have such different personalities And even though Luke and Nell ended up being totally different people, they still have this connection with each other that they don't have with the other siblings and that the other siblings don't have with them. And when Nell dies, you really see how much that affects Luke. And it's like, you don't want this character going into an even worse downfall that he's already been through. He's been through so much already and he can't even, you know, handle those problems let alone losing his twin sister yeah yeah in in his episode and his his performance is incredible um as as we see that in his episode he's reached his his 90 day chip um he's uh you know he's he's actually doing really well he's not using and he has this whole thing with the joey i think um who he meets while in rehab and he goes off to try and find her. And as he's trying to find her, like he's progressively, you know, saying, and this is after he's woken up in the middle of the night uh, and sees Nell in his room. And as he's progressively trying to find, trying to find Joey, he's getting the chills. He, he's, he's feeling achy. Like he's, he's finding it very hard to move and everything. And you, and you don't really realize it at first as you're watching the episode because you're focusing on the fact that he's freaking out that these are kind of the as these are withdrawal symptoms that that he's explained uh earlier and he's just freaked out about you know why am i feeling the the, you know these uh these feelings when i i haven't been using like i've been i've been doing fine and he's trying to convince himself as much as he's trying to convince steve and steve's wife and the woman who runs the rehab and then as it progresses and it gets worse and worse, we start to realize that it's like, and the way that they, that they edit with, you know, Nell getting to the funeral home and everything. um, We realize that he is, he's feeling the fact that she's dead and he's feeling her cold body. He's feeling the rigor mortis setting in and it's like really messed up. (laughs) And his performance is just incredible. And when Steve shows up and, um, and and finds him and tells him he says it's now um uh she's dead and he's like no no that's not possible and he says it was suicide and that's when and because it's a twin thing he says no steve it wasn't and that's like the end of an episode and you know of of the many times in this show that it just leaves you there with chills and you're like oh luckily you can power through and not be stuck with those kinds of cliffhangers though and yeah that's sort of one of the times where with this show in particular you could really go either way if you don't want to binge this whole thing in one sitting or you know get up and yeah go to the bathroom and eat every once in a while you know yeah i don't recommend sitting there for nearly 10 hours straight watching this but no i had i had to force myself to take 
uh, to take breaks yeah. from it because it it was really heavy the first time through and there were a number of times that it's like I walk out of my room and and he's just like you okay and I'm just like no <laughs> I'm like I can't explain it you haven't watched the show yet but no I'm not good and then I start when I sat down to watch it the the second time um I, I'm sitting there and uh and I'm watching the first episode and it gets to the end and I sit there. I'm like, you know, I don't know if I was emotionally ready to put myself back into the show. I'm like, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you doing that because, you know, you can keep some of these facts in line that I may have forgotten because the show jumps around so much, too, though. It's yeah. like, OK, we have to piece together why these moments from the past matter in the present you know everything is connected Absolutely. they're not yeah. showing you the past just to be like hey here you go here's what their lives were like exactly it's much deeper than that and you know if you they didn't show the past it's like okay why does the mom even matter so i yeah. think setting you up with the mom in the window at the beginning there it's like oh okay we need to know what happened because that's fishy <laughs> exactly and even it didn't click with me until watching it the the second time, um, and I won't get into exactly what Nell says um, yet because it's all the way at the end. Um, but I'll try to remember to to bring it up. But how the show is structured with all the different timelines and the information we get and the development of the characters, like all those things, I don't want to say it's meta because it's it's not, it's not meta, but it but it makes sense why it was told in this story when she ends up giving this like soliloquy um about just kind of everything and how everything makes sense and she talks about time um and it's and so it's like you you sit there and you're like oh well this is an interesting you know aesthetic choice to give us this like information in a fractured way and it's building up and then when it all comes together you're like oh that was way more thought out than i thought it was it wasn't <laughs> just a this is a fun way to tell a story <laughs> yeah it wasn't one of those horror movies where you're like, okay, I'll let this sl slide because it's a horror <laughs> yeah. movie and you're working in a shorter amount of time. But with something like Netflix, you have more time to dedicate to telling these more thought out stories. Not to say that movies aren't thought out. You know, you have plenty of things like right, the right. MCU that have spanned years upon years and they're telling one giant story in the same sense while telling smaller stories as well. But with this, you know, you have all of these parallels from the past and the present. You have right. Olivia's death, you have Nell's death, and obviously those happening in the same way in the same house, something has to give there. And the overall plot of this story is how this family deals with tragedy and how they deal with this house. You see that a lot with the past. These kids are finding very strange things happening around this place. And yeah. you have a lot of these moments where you're really learning more about the house than you are about the kids. And that's still very crucial to the story as we find out towards the end when they're like, all right, we need to get rid of this <laughs> yeah <laughs> i completely agree with you that it's you're you're sitting there and you're you're watching characters interact and it's dialogue back and forth and you know absolutely the dialogue is you know very important but i, I agree with you that it's like you don't you don't necessarily realize that oh i'm not just learning about these characters like within within that dialogue 
they're ta- just having a conversation with themselves, but because of little bits of information here, little bits of information here, I've now gotten more weird information about what's going on with the house or not necessarily even information, but more questions <laughs> for, for, for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, even when Shirley finds the cats and she wants to bring the cats in the house and yeah. she's, she's like, you know what? She's like, what if the dogs, uh, get them? And, Mr. Dudley's just like dogs. He's like, there's no dogs on the on the property, and he was like, the kids hear dogs barking, you know, all night. And Mr. Dudley's just like, uh, you can tell that's a little early on when he's just like, yeah, no, there's no dogs, but you can see it in his face. You can see it in his face that he's just like, ah, oh, damn it, like starting again. <laughs> yeah, and like it, he he's not ready to tell them anything. Like so, it's just it's little things like that that just start building things in a subtle way, and then you the dog thing doesn't even like fully end up being like something. Like you think, oh, there's gonna be like a scene with like you know demon dogs or something, but there's one moment during the storm where the kids scream and say there's something in the house, and and they're like it it looks you know, looked like a wolf or something. We never end up seeing it, but it's, it's just a, it's just a nod to just another crazy thing that, that lives in the evil of this house. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's cool how the show, like it treats its smaller moments just as important as something that it's going to make a huge deal about. Mrs. Dudley had some nice moments in this show too. And, Absolutely. you know, Annabeth Gish puts on great performances all the time. <laughs> she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And even when she's just a guest in something like a show like this, or I mean, I've seen her in things like Criminal Minds for an episode or something like that. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay, I'm a little more excited about this now because she's in it. And she sort of just has this stoic presence about her in this. It's like she knows more about the house than she's saying. And you kind of get that feeling, but at the same time to these kids, she just seems so wise. Yeah. And, you know, you can tell that Nell, especially, I think, just wants to keep learning more from her. But, you know, that's something that we can't spend too much time with because it would sort of distract from the 800 other stories going on in this because there is a lot going on. And I don't think that's a detriment. I don't mean that as a bad thing. It's just... Because of the fact that there are, what, five kids, you know? Yeah. And then the parents, it's like, okay, just right there, that's a lot to focus on. Yeah. And the kids have sort of gone their separate ways. Obviously, Theo's living in Shirley's guest house, so they're not too far. Mm -hmm. And then Steve seems to be close to Nell, at least somewhat, because he's the one that kind of goes and checks on her. Right. Yeah, it seems like he lives near her. It seems like they live the closest as long as he's like not on the road, like doing doing his work. And then Luke seems somewhat close by, probably just because of that connection with Nell. Exactly. And the fact that he was stealing from Steve's apartment. (laughs) Well, yeah, that too. So it kind of seems like Um, they're almost on opposite coasts too, I think. Because I think someone makes a comment about going back east when they go to Shirley's. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think I want to say and I guess it would make sense, like if Steve's then, you know, doing stuff with like in entertainment, it sounds like a large amount of his work is in L.A. Because um, uh, I think when he's with 
when he's with the one woman whose hu- whose husband died. Um, yeah, she make she makes some comment when she's telling him a story about this big storm or something, and he says, "No, I don't know it." And she said, "And she says, oh, you weren't in L.A. yet, so it um so I'm not sure how long he's necessarily been there, but I would imagine it would probably be around or shortly after his first book because at that point, you know, that same lady she has a bunch of his books on the shelf. Right. And, you know, said my husband was a big fan and everything like that. So you can tell that Steve has been telling these sorts of stories for a while, even though the family doesn't necessarily all agree with it, especially The Haunting of Hill House. So it's one of those things where these characters have such different personalities, but because they're still family they sort of have this duty to each other, regardless of their differing opinions, especially when it comes to Nell, because her and Luke, from what I can tell, are the youngest, too. And I think we see that more. You know, Theo's a little older. She's somewhere in the middle. And then it seems like Shirley and Steve are sort of the older kids that seem to have their lives together a little more than the rest of them. Yeah, it seems like Shirley and Steve are, are kind of like the closest and then um and then yeah, it's it seems like Theo's somewhere in the middle of the two of them and the twins. Yeah, and Shirley is obviously a nod to Shirley Jackson, I would guess, because I'm yeah, not yeah. sure <laughs> there was a Shirley in the book. But, you know, it's like that was sort of their nod to the creator of Hill House because you know, even though the story might differ, really the essence of what's going on in the stories in both the book and the adaptation seem to gel a lot more. And I think, you know, this would probably be a good place to just pause on the plot for a bit and talk about (laughs) the use of time in this, because we've talked about the past and the present, but a lot of those parallels that happen to just make you realize okay, this is why this is happening now. And here's how it relates to something that happened before. And obviously the two deaths are the big ones. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we, we we get that connection. That one was a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of, the, uh, one of the biggest features that seems to, you know, cross time the most is the bent neck lady. Yeah. And, you know, that that's like one of the... I think that's one of the first um the first pieces of terror that we're introduced to um in in the past in the house is that Nell sees the bent neck lady. And then it it seems that throughout time she's you know gone to therapy and she's kind of got, gotten herself a little a little better and it seems like the bent neck lady hasn't been around for a while. Yeah. And then she you know she meets the uh, the technician, uh, the sleep technician, and then, you know, they they get married and everything. Um, but one night when uh, when they're in bed, she's having one of her um, like sleep paralysis moments, and he gets up to get something to help her, and then he just stiffens up. It looks like his. I don't think it, his neck snaps because they end up saying it was like a heart attack or something. But he like does like the bent like motion, and then he falls falls to his death and there's the bent neck lady and she says a line to the therapist you know and just like that she was back it's almost like time didn't want nell to have this well-adjusted life because when she was 
married and everything, you know, it seemed like she was doing well and the siblings were all proud of her, you know, and they still had their qualms with each other, but, you know, they all still come together for Nell. And we see that in the wedding shots and everything, because even that is, you know, it's the present, but not quite completely the present, (laughs) you know, it's sort of the more present past if you want to say that and you know not all of the flashbacks obviously then went way back to their childhood there were crucial moments that they flashed back to because it's like you know here is this thing that happened in the past with the bent neck lady and here's it happening again but they give you some context because if you just saw Nell with this guy it's like okay, wait, how did we kind of get here? Like We did a little more information than that, but, you know... Exactly. I think, correct me if I'm wrong here too, though, Nell was seeing the bent neck lady before the mom passed. Yes, yeah. The The bent neck lady is, uh, is a nightmare that she keeps hap- having, or they keep telling her it's a, a nightmare, and she sees it, her at, like, the edge of her bed, and then she says, I don't want to sleep in my room. So then she sleeps out in the uh, like in the living room area, which still looks like a terrifying room to sleep in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and she's lying on the couch and opens her eyes and the bent neck lady is floating above her. And the other one that uh, that builds um, early on is uh, is the tall man. Yes. With Luke. It seems like almost because like the two of them are the youngest and the most impressionable. And even, you know, even they they say you know and i believe in in ghosts and they and they say that you know kids and animals you know see things you know a lot a lot easier they can they something in in the way that their their brains are they can sense those things sooner and more prominently so i think like with the kids being younger they're being impacted by the house the harshest um, you know, even Luke goes into the, the dumbwaiter and goes down to the, the basement right. and he's kind of stuck there and that monster is like coming to get him. And so it seems like that how the house is like feeding on all of them, you know, throughout their time there, it seems like it's had the most impact on them. And, and then as we see them in, in their adult life, it, to me, that's why like the house is still trying to lure the two of them back because it got its hooks in the in the both of them the most and the house probably figures if it gets them back then the rest will follow i'm glad that you mentioned the tall man because the more that i sit here thinking about this you know the tall man is supposed to be william hill i believe the original owner of the house so luke is seeing the past and how the house is sort of stuck in the past but nell is seeing the future so that's another way it kind of messes with time because the oh, bent yeah. neck lady ends up being Nell. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, Luke is seeing the past of what this house did to this guy. And Nell is seeing the future of what the house is going to do to her. And yeah. I didn't even think about that until now because no, I was yeah, like, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes so much sense now that we're talking about time. Because, you know, when we get the reveal that it's Nell, it's like you're surprised, but you're also not because you're like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) It's not something that you expected. Like you're not sitting there and being like, man, I totally bet you that's her. But then it's like when it's revealed, you're just like, 
it makes so much perfect sense that I'm not questioning any of it. And you're just caught up in that heart-wrenching moment that is done so well that once she drops to um drops to her death and then just the way the camera um is done that it just it like slides from scene to scene yeah showing us each moment that we've already seen previously but now we see, we fully see her she's not in the shadows anymore and it's one one of the most impressive moments in a very very impressive show i'm wondering now too if the house was attracting luke to it because the owner just wanted him to end it you know luke goes there in a rage wanting to burn the place down he tries to burn it down yeah and i think you know it definitely just plays tricks on their minds and like you said because they were the younger ones they were more susceptible to that but even theo has her own things going on you know she doesn't want to touch people and she doesn't want people to touch her really so she's always wearing gloves now as an adult and we see that come to life as a kid you know her mom gives her some gloves to wear and everything like that because they realize there's something different about Theo and yeah you know so in a sense it seems like Steve and Shirley are kind of the normal ones <laughs> which yeah. given that he writes about ghost stories basically and she works with dead people all day it's like yeah I guess that's yeah. as normal <laughs> as you can expect out of this family <laughs> yeah that's for sure I really like that theory though that that the tall man could you know that William Hill could be luring him not in an evil way to be like we're going to come get you but trying to say it's like I don't want to see this happen to another family so he tries to use Luke to stop it but as we see when he lights the flame nothing happens right and and I I think within that theory I think it still works cuz I I think at that point it's it's almost like William Hill's plan just didn't work. You know, it's like he he brought Luke here to do this, but then it doesn't work. And that's when the evil parts of the house get Luke. It's too full of other ghosts for it to work. That's how I Boy, is it. that house full of ghosts. <laughs> when they show that shot of all of them. Oh. Yeah, because it always felt like whenever the tall man showed up, he wasn't really trying to harm Luke. No, yeah. You know, he would kind of just float around and float in and out of the room but you know it's like he's just like checking on the house yeah but then when the bent neck lady would show up it was always to like terrify Nell. obviously luke was still terrified by the tall man but yeah he was just tall you know He, he wasn't like super creepy in comparison to some of the other ghosts we had seen and yeah you know i could be totally off base with this who knows because yeah i don't know if ghosts think rationally so there is that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What's really cool about this show is that it's like, I'm, I'm sure there are probably definitive answers that Mike Flanagan has, but then, um, and it's not, it's not so open-ended that it's, an, that it's annoying. Like sometimes storylines can be like, oh, well you just, you left that open and it's kind of annoying that you just didn't want to give us anything like this one. It gives you so much to satisfy you, but leaves just enough open for interpretation that you know like a, a a theory you know like with William Hill like that might be that might be it that might not be but to me like as soon as you said it I'm like that makes so much sense I love this I'm I'm going to run with this <laughs> and yeah it's like like even yeah when we first see 
see him when we first see william hill he's just coming to get his hat yeah um <laughs> like, he's just like oop left this behind <laughs> yeah like he's he's coming in and you're like oh man like he's gonna get him he's gonna get him you know he's hiding under the bed he's gonna find him probably drag him out you know you're thinking through all like the typical horror tropes and uh and then it's yeah he gets his hat and he leaves like <laughs> in a way too you could almost say that the bent neck lady is trying to warn young Nell in a sense too that's what I think yeah like and because when when she's in like bent neck lady mode like it seems like she's unable to like really say much um but when we when we see her appear in some other areas she doesn't say uh really much of anything well except for the end when she has her whole thing but um she doesn't really say much of anything except for two words one is go and one is don't. Uh, and that comes into play when Luke is temporarily dead yeah. in the white room. And um, and the house is trying to get him to stay. And young Nell is saying, uh, is saying don't. And then telling him go. And so it's like all those little things were seeded in, you know, in, in the past, in the middle, and then here in the present. Um, it, it all comes into play. So it's there. There's all these little things and parallels filtering from uh, through through all the different timelines. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Time is a funny thing in this, but I really want to touch on the cinematography because I really feel like that is an area that just put this show on the next level. But specifically that tracking shot in episode six when they are in the funeral home and i believe it's at least a 12 minute shot or if not longer than that i remember reading about it and i'll go back and find the articles for it so the end of the first tracking shot uh, the the whole one shot that's about 22 23 minutes okay yeah that that's the one i'm talking about and it's the one where they go from the present in the funeral home and they track you straight into the past in hill house right yeah and they they built both sets to um there's videos on youtube like please anyone like if you haven't watched them go go uh google them look them up it's it's really cool to see how they did it um and to think how you know that if if anything goes wrong like you uh, even if it's at you know minute 19 you got to go back to one and the fact that they had three uh, extended shots uh, in the episode. The first one ends at about 22, 23 minutes. The second one ends at about 40 minutes-ish. Um, and then the third one, I think, is really only like, I think it's only like maybe like 12 minutes long, um, you uh, give or take. And at that point, it's when Nell's body in the coffin crashes to the floor. Yeah. Everything that is built up in the episode is is now the, it's it's heated. They're yelling at each other, and Steve says the wrong parent died. The coffin falls, and from that point, the extended shots stop, and it's just back to normal cinematography. And I found that very interesting. That that once that that seems to be like the moment that the family kind of almost comes together, but obviously some certain things end up happening that shatters that a little bit. But it seems to be a moment that they all are like what are we doing here um but that that first that first shot yeah like you said it's the the way it's Hugh just walks through the door in the um 
in the funeral home and then suddenly he's just in the house and then we follow through this whole thing in the house yeah um and uh and it doesn't stop until young hugh goes into um goes through a door or something like that and when the coffin falls over too it's almost like nell protesting that they can't get along it's like all yeah. right you know what i'm gonna make a scene now <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what happens because from what i could tell nobody touched the coffin it just fell <laughs> yeah and there's the weird thing where the buttons um appear on on her eyes and those yeah. are the buttons that that luke gave her to count to seven because the the seven family members to just count that over and over when you're scared yeah, the cinematography on this was so good. And just to hear them talk about these tracking shots and how much went into it. You know, these actors and the crew especially did so much extra work to make sure that these were as perfect as they could be. And I think when you put in that little extra effort, because it would have been much easier to have cuts every few minutes oh, yeah. on this and even in editing that wouldn't have taken that much longer i imagine i've never yeah. edited video but you have so you could probably yeah. attest to this at least a little you know making cuts isn't necessarily yeah. the hardest part i think it's sort of just making sure everything pieced together looks good and flows well exactly and i i mean it would have been a fine episode if it was done normally i mean it still would have had all that same content and everything but i think the uniqueness of of doing of doing it this way and not having any cuts and it and it's and it it being like a like a play you focus on every little thing that much more because there are no cuts nothing yeah. takes your attention away everything that is on screen is your main focus and they even it it blows my mind the uh there's one shot where i mean they do it a number of times but they're doing one of the circle shots and on one pass around, there's their adult versions. And then when it comes back around, it's the kid versions. Yeah. And then when it comes back around, it's the adult versions again. So you're thinking about how like these actors are probably like they, they have to like run off quietly and hide behind the wall right. and then run back in and stand exactly where each actor was. You know, it's. It's absolutely, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. Like it's, it, yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just speechless. Yeah. At, at, I get so excited about it. <laughs> I, and anytime I was telling, uh, telling my friends to watch it and then they're like, they're like, this show is amazing and everything. And I'm like, tell me when you get to episode six. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was definitely one of my favorite episodes of TV last year too. You know, yeah. I feel like cinematography is something I'm starting to notice more and more as I do this podcast and the Stephen King podcast and sort of focus on those things because that's not something I ever really paid attention to. And, you know, for the most part, I was watching like these procedural TV shows that don't really do anything mind blowing. I don't think in the yeah. field of cinematography for the most part, you know, every NCIS is going to kind of have the same feel to it and everything like that. Yeah. Here and there you'll, you'll be like, Oh, that, you know, that looks pretty that's cool. Like, that stands out. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah, because it's so procedural, they are literally do, doing like the same shot setup in every episode. Yeah. It's, you can only show an interrogation room so many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that like that's starting to be a, a um, a thing that's you know in enhancing your experience watching s stuff because it, it, that's that's one of my absolute favorite things about watching 
um, any kind of, of content. And obviously in film, you know, it's a huge thing, but in, you know, in these, this premium era of television and just these higher end shows that we're, that we're getting it, when you, when you do see all that, you know, beautiful effort being put into it, it, um, there, there are some times that I just kind of like, I might like, I may pause something and just, and just be like, man, like this just looks really good. It enhances the, the experience and it brings you in that much more, even in a subtle way, if you're not, if you're not paying that much attention to it. One of the other things I really liked about the cinematography is just how sprawling they make Hill House look, not only from the exterior shots we get of it, but when you're inside, you really get a sense for how long these hallways are. Oh, You know, when you have the hallway where all of the bedrooms are, it almost feels like it's never going to end. Yeah. And it's very precise in how they set up the house. You know, you come in and you have the big chandelier that crashes to the ground in that big storm yeah and you have this massive staircase and it goes up and splits off into two and it's just so amazing what they did with these sets to just really nail the tone of this place is massive even when luke takes the dumbwaiter down to the basement you're like ooh, this is gross and creepy and don't go down there again (laughs) yeah yeah it's 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 so cool and and it's so nice to see you know that much effort being put into a set you know especially you know being that we're in an era where so much can be done with cgi um but then even to that point uh you know, CGI can be used in such an incredible uh, and and subtle way, even with just sets that you wouldn't necessarily even know that it's CGI. I don't know if you've watched Mindhunter yet. Yes. Another fantastic show. Absolutely. There's a video uh, online that shows uh, the scenes, side by side comparisons um, of like an outdoor shot that uh, that David Fincher filmed and then then the the shot next to it when he adds in just a bunch of like trees and stuff and you have no idea that just these these trees just in a suburb like he just added them in and it looks amazing and even side by side so um so there there are like really great ways that that can be done but um but i just mean you know in uh, like the world of like superheroes where it's all you know giant green screen for a lot of things um i i get really excited knowing having seen like behind the scenes stuff for hill house that like they built this you know set to to work on like i just get so excited about that type of craftsmanship um and it makes me it makes me enjoy and appreciate the show that much more absolutely well we can't wrap this up without talking about that ending first and i know there's so much that we still didn't even get to touch on we would probably have to dedicate like a whole bonus series to this yeah (laughs) or something just to go episode by episode because that's how much detail and time they put into this show but episode 10 brings us back to the red room which isn't surprising if you were expecting like you and i probably were for it to come back in a big way and oh yeah you know we previously see abigail who is the dudley's daughter and you know, at, yeah. <laughs> at first you, you can't really tell if she's real. You know, <laughs> one one of the 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 most impressive like 
twists of the season, I, I thought. Like they they leave you with such uncertainty, but also kind of lean really heavy on her being a ghost. And then to find out that she's not a ghost and she's a real kid that just drank rat poison. Like, oh man, like yeah. the, <laughs> just like I was dumbfounded by by that. Cause I just I thought for sure she was a ghost the way they the way they they filmed her and Luke in the way that he talks about her, but no one else seems to believe she exists. Yeah, they framed it in such a way to where you were like, okay, are we sure Luke doesn't just suddenly have an imaginary friend? Yeah. And even then, it's like, okay, is this just in Luke's head or is it an actual ghost? Because we've seen those too. So there's That's a true few too. different yeah. possibilities. She's an imaginary friend that has nothing to do with being a ghost. She's a ghost or apparently she's real. <laughs> yeah. Which was not one of the ones that I that I was predicting. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't think that was going to happen either. But then we get that wrapped up in the end because you're sort of left with that wondering you're like oh okay but what what's going on with the the kid that might not be real <laughs> right yeah i have my episode 10 uh notes up i feel like that might be the best way to to cover exactly like how this all wraps up in episode 10 yeah so in the past you obviously have shirley and nell still trying to get into the red room yeah because it's like mr dudley has the master key from what i can tell or yeah, he which apparently has, doesn't work on the red room right because this big red door is not like any of the other doors and you actually have a lot going on here because you sort of have the past moments the present ish moments and then you have possibly future moments it's it's kind of hard to get a feel for the timeline in this because you have everything happening either in the distant past the moment when they're at the house trying to burn it down and then you have Steve in the aftermath and you have the rest of them in the aftermath of it as well so I guess it's more of that present past when they're burning the house down that I mentioned yeah. before and then you know the future-ish moments are probably more current day since they do have a little bit of a time jump exactly yeah and and like even when I was like doing my notes and I'm like watching the one scene with with Steve when he's talking with his uh with his wife and i have like in my notes written like future like because i'm like, like is this and then you end up finding out you're like oh no he's 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 trapped in the red room like and this is and this is a horrifying nightmare um and uh and each each of them you know each of them gets their moment of being trapped into the uh into the red room right um but it's it's great when we have that first moment in the beginning of the episode when like you said Shirley and Nell trying to get into the red room and then from earlier in the season you see like that shadow underneath the door which we naturally for the rest of the season are assuming oh man there's there's some crazy ghost in there you know or whatever and then we find out no that was Theo in her dance room <laughs> yeah that was crazy cinematography too <laughs> yeah so we get uh we get St Steve's like red room you know, event is the him having that conversation with his wife and her going all uh, demony. And I guess that's after the, I guess that's supposed to be after Steve and Hugh enter the house. They smell the gasoline and they hear all this uh, crazy banging. Um, and this is a great moment that I really like when Steve sees the tall man 
Uh, but then when he runs into the room and there's Abigail at the bottom of the stairs right. and Hugh like stops him and he makes Steve look at him just like when he was a kid and he's just like, just look at me. He's like, don't look, don't look away. Just look right at me. Um, and you know, it's this, it's this moment of his dad just continuing to protect him. That is just like, um, as we learned earlier, like his, uh, his dad is so nervous for Steve to go into the house because of the things that Steve has seen because of the things that he's written. The fact that, uh, this whole time, Steve didn't think he ever saw any ghosts, but we had learned that he did see a ghost. He saw the clock man. Right. And so since he saw the clock man, the house already has a little bit of its hooks in him, even if it's not as harsh as like the other kids. Um, so he's just trying to keep Steve from getting tricked by the by the house, which ends up happening anyway, because the door, the red room opens up and there's Luke, you know, reaching out and he's dying. Um, Steve runs in. And the door slams shut. Um, and so now it's got Steve and Luke. And it takes that long for Steve to realize he even saw a ghost because it's perfectly reasonable to think that someone would come fix the clock. Exactly. Yeah. That was another one of the ghosts where you're like, oh, they didn't have any harmful intentions. You know, the yeah. dude looked like he was fixing the clock. So what else yeah. would Steve think? <laughs> Yeah, it was just another man over time who got engulfed by the house. And there's an example of just one of those really subtle things. Like we see the the clock guy like a, a few times earlier in the series. That's never really addressed. It's just he's there. You walk past him. They like maybe look and see them, but it but that's about it. Um, and uh, so that's done really well. And then of course we have Theo and Shirley arrive at the house, and they run upstairs after they hear their dad, only to find that. Well, I guess Theo runs upstairs to find find their dad, and he's he's been knocked out unconscious. I I guess I I don't really really remember what uh what happened to him like by the window, but something happens after the door shuts. The he yeah. gets like knocked back. Um, and so Theo runs to uh runs up, sees that clearly he's not the one who called for her. Um, and then the the actress uh go crazy ghost lady. I forget her name. Um. She uh, she touches her head and now she's in the red room um, and Shirley goes through her whole uh, we see the whole whole thing with the conference at the hotel um, and the yeah. mystery man that we'd been seeing throughout the series. We learned that she cheated on him and everything. Cheated on her husband, that is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cheated on her husband. And then she appears like in in the funeral home and sees herself in the coffin. Um, yeah. And uh, and I guess we should mention that. Um, Nell is the one who wakes all of them up in the red room. So, right. it, so Nell is in the house, but she's clearly combating the house uh, in some in some way to try and keep the house from um from getting them. Once they're all awake, that's when that's when we we've, we've got you know Steve trying to save Luke, and when they let Luke die in that moment, like I mean the way that this this show, you know, had been going, like it. There, there wasn't a, there wasn't really a moment of, I mean, I guess there's like a brief moment of me being like, no, like, no, they can't. We came this far, like they can't kill him. But then it's like, well, he looks pretty dead, and they've killed off a few people on this show already, um, including a child. So I'm like, all right, well, like I guess he's dead. But we get, uh, we get this great scene in a white room of the red room. Um, yeah. Where they there they are having the tea party. A very moldy white room. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
And uh, and that's that's such a uh, great scene, as I, I was talking about before, how the house is trying to get him to, I guess, accept that that he'll stay. Even Nell at that point is saying, don't like you have to go. You have to go. And now they're once once they're all awake. That's when we get kind of we get like an info dump of like everything. But, you know, this show does everything so well. And so it's not it's not a, a lazy info dump or anything. It uh, gives us all this information that starts to make everything make sense, including and good. I remember to to bring it up. The uh, the um, we were talking about time yeah. and how everything all the timelines are fractured. Um, and she has a very specific specific line where she talks about how we think that you know our memories and everything are in this linear fashion and it's just that we remember it from birth to to death and our memories and our and our time on earth is fractured she keeps using the phrase um confetti and she says but everything feels a bit clearer now everything's been out of order and so that line is so cool because you're just like, we've spent this whole season with everything being out of order. And it and now it's like culminated and the family is finally together. The family had been fractured this whole time. Um, even when we had these these moments where we think that they're um that they're, you know, almost coming back together. Um, but we learn that this red room has been, you know, Shirley's uh uh family room i guess i uh i wrote that one down because she says family room but i couldn't really recall from earlier in the season yeah when we had a special moment for shirley um the game room for steve the reading room for Liv, the treehouse for luke um and uh theo's dance studio nell's toy room and that the red room is this um she calls it the stomach of the house and that it's been silently feeding on them the whole time I, it's all so well done how how it's explained like it um in a way that doesn't make it fe- feel like the show's just like talking at me right like I, i'm still very invested in the scene that was trippy too because it was obvious that they couldn't get the red door open yeah to go into that room but yet they still all ended up in that room without realizing it trippy is a good word for it because you sit there and you're just like well wait so how do they get in the how did they get in that room? Did they all just happen to walk up here and they're just not? But I, I mean, I guess, you know, the house can make them see whatever they whatever they want. Um, so they don't realize what door they're going through. Right. They never see the red door as they enter those rooms. To them, it's just another room in the house and they don't realize it's all the same room. Yeah, there's a, mo- there's a moment when Steve says something to Hugh about about Luke's treehouse. And, and Hugh's like, they're there was never a tree house. He was like, we were there for the summer just to fix the house and then sell it. He's like, why would I build a tree? House? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's like, that whole thing is really like, that's the culmination of, of everything in that. Um, and we get this beautiful moment where each of them kind of, they try to apologize to Nell for, you know, for not picking up the phone, for not believing her, for, you know, not saving her. Um, and she forgives each and every one of them in this, in this great moment for each of them and, and says, I loved you completely and you the same. And it's, it's such a, such a beautiful moment um, uh, that bring, uh, that brings, it's the acceptance for, um, for all of them. I mentioned it before the podcast that I had read something that, you know, each of the kids is one of the stages of grief and that apparently Steve is denial. Makes sense. Yeah. Cause he's always saying, I, I don't believe in anything. Shirley's anger. She's very angry, yeah. very tense. 
Theo's is a little uh, tougher. That one's supposed to be bargaining, which I, I see. Uh, that one's definitely, I think, a little more subtle than uh, the rest. <laughs> than the rest. Luke is, is depression and Nell is acceptance. And the cool thing about it is it was it was, I guess, apparently a theory. Uh, the website that I was reading was not the original one that uh, that gave the, the theory. But apparently someone like brought it up and mentioned it on uh, Twitter, I guess. And Mike Flanagan responded by saying, good catch. So it was pretty cool to have like that. Like, it's a really interesting idea. And I guess it was it. I guess Mike Flanagan confirmed that it is, you know, in the at least in the back of his mind of a of of some symbolism, um, even if it isn't necessarily, you know, a key factor. But some of it is pretty on the nose. But I mean, it's amazing that even with all of that stuff in the red room and we get to like the acceptance and everything, there's still, you know, a bit left of the show. Yeah, you have these other moments that happen and Mrs. Dudley comes back because Mr. Dudley wants her to be with Abigail. So it's like the two of them stayed on yeah, because they knew their daughter was in there. And I think that's just a really touching moment at the end, too, that he brings his wife there so that she can be with the daughter because, you know... She's going to die either way. It's not the house that has killed her. And even though it's just really her dying from old age, if she dies in the house, she'll be able to stay. So a lot of people yeah. have died in that house over the years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a it's such a beautiful moment when he, he he brings her in, you know, and he's rushing her in there and you know, he clearly knows she's dying. And, you know, he says to her when he sets her sets her down, he says, he says, we made it. And then she dies. And I guess, as, yeah, as long as she dies in the house. And then the next moment we see her younger self holding the baby of Abigail. And it's it's such a such a be- uh, beautiful and nice moment. And yeah, I, I really like that because we learn earlier in the season that, you know, Hugh is like, no, like no one goes near the house. I'm not getting rid of the house and the Dudleys stay on. And you're just kind of like, well, why the hell are you making them stay on? If like there's, you know, it's there's So there's this mystery that stands out there. And then when you find out that it's because like he wanted to burn the house down and they were like, don't like you can't do it. She's here. But they're like, don't let anyone come back to this house. And we won't say anything. They're like, no one knows about Abigail because she's homeschooled. Right. And they've lived there their whole lives. And so it's it's really heartbreaking. And on the second time through, I noticed a line from Liv that she's, when she first sees Hugh back at the house, she says, it's um, how long has it been um, since you stopped coming here? Uh, and so he must have been going back after everything had happened. And after he probably hadn't been talking to the kids for a while, he was still going back to the house to see her. And then at a certain point he said, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And he's like, I needed to stay away. I needed to hold the door closed. So the house to protect the kids, but that the door just got too big and he didn't, he couldn't, he couldn't save them anymore, which brings us to, you know, here we think the the here we think the kids are getting out of it and everything's you know all okay but we find out um that as they're as they're walking out of the room and i didn't notice this till the second time but steve looks over at the floor and then they keep going yeah 
And then there's a line where Hugh says, um, you didn't tell them what you saw. Um, and then we finally get to see how everything happened, um, you know, that night when Hugh went back to the house. And then we learn, I guess, that Hugh must have made a deal with Liv and with the house that it's like, I will stay, but the kids get to leave. And whether or not the house keeps that promise, I don't know. It certainly seems that Luke makes it to his two years and everyone's like celebrating and they're happy. Um, And, you know, it shows the house one last time and the lights are all going, but then the lights dim and, you know, is that symbolizing that the house, you know, starved because there there was no, you know, fresh meat to feed off of? Or is it just going dormant until it decides it wants to come get them? Um, so it's it is a happy ending ish, <laughs> but it it it's also open-ended. it also has a, a yeah, it's open ended. It's got a bit of heartbreak, it's got an ominous feel to it. Apparently there's an alternate ending that when we see like all of them like in their happy moments, like moving on mm-hmm. with their their life, apparently the windows from the red room are exactly the same in every single shot. And so there was almost an ending where they never make it out of the red room, um, which is pretty messed up. And I don't really know which ending I want more. I, I like that ending because I do enjoy uh messed up ending sometimes you probably haven't gotten to it but there is a stephen king one that has a really messed up ending that's one of my favorites um it's weird to say that's my favorite <laughs> but i don't want to say till you get there because it, it'll ruin it okay <laughs> <laughs> but i think i think i like the ending that we got the most because it still it still gives us a closure of being happy that these kids have have overcome this but it leaves it open enough i feel like in in a subtly ominous way that it still has that slight bit of darkness because it is this really powerful monster of a house and i just find it hard to believe that the house would forever agree to not come get the kids yeah it's almost like the lights being on in the house are similar to when olivia would tell them that the porch light means it's time to come home yeah such a good moment I'm glad you brought that up. And it's almost like another parallel, but because the kids haven't come home, it's starting to dim. Yeah. And like you said, it's probably starving and wanting them to come because no one else is going to if they never sell the house. I mean, it's kind of hard because then did Hugh have to leave it to the kids in the will and they'll just have to keep leaving it to their kids and hope they never go in it. True. Yeah. That 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 is a good point because Hugh's the one who had the who had the house. Um, or are they not just reporting his death and <laughs> we're just going to pretend well, that, he's living yeah. forever? I, yeah, I guess. That, uh, yeah, I guess that's the other thing. I I, I kind of had that thought when I watched it the second time. I was just kind of like, all right, well then they leave, and when the girls say goodbye to their dad, they don't realize that that's ghost dad, and <laughs> um, and then Steve you know, talks to ghost dad, but then Steve leaves. And then I would assume, I mean, I guess Steve has enough money that he could probably like pay off his dad's like stuff and then sell the house or sell wherever he's living. And then I guess 
no one needs to know where he is as long as like all the stuff is paid off. Yeah. It's definitely interesting to think about though. You know, yeah, it's like, are yeah. they just going to keep it in the family forever? And all of the kids will just have to live with this warning. And, you know, you can't tell them too young because then they'd be too curious. Yeah. So you'd probably have to wait until they're older and can understand the ramifications of going to this place. But even then you have to bank on them believing it. This crazy story. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like like as generations go on and it's like and you have to keep telling the story, they'd have to make um they'd have to make like a video like in 50 first dates when Adam Sandler makes the video to like catch her catch Drew Barrymore up on like everything that has happened every time she wakes up. Yeah. I feel like they'd get so tired of just like, all right, we have to like explain all this <laughs> stuff. They would just need a video to just be like, all right, now that you are say 10 years old, we're going to show you this video and just trust us that everything is true and never, ever go to this house. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's like one of them at some point is going to be like, you know what? No, screw it. I'm going to check out this house. Exactly. Well, why don't we run through some quick final thoughts here? You know, obviously, we both really, really enjoyed this. And I think I want to see more things like this, whether or not they're adaptations or just original stories i think there's a lot you can do in the horror genre that doesn't equal goriness you know there are some startling moments in this obviously seeing bent neck lady and everything but it's not gory in the same kind of sense of you know people being ripped limb from limb or anything oh, like yeah. that you know so yeah. it's a different kind of horror and i think yeah things like this and get out and some other horror movies and shows like that are sort of becoming my favorites of the genre and it's just because they're so well crafted and even though you have sort of the cult factor with some of the older horror franchises and everything and you have some elements of cheesiness to certain horror movies and everything like that there's still a lot you can do within the genre that's different than that absolutely i mean that's like i i have friends that you know will say they're like um you know i horror is just not my thing and i'm like well I'm like, let me explain to you why you can't just say that, because there are so many different like subgenres within the genre. Um, and like you, you have, you know, the classics and you, you, you have, you know, the universal monsters, you have uh, the slashers, you have the um, the demonic possession and uh, you, you have the gothic ghost stories which this would probably cl- uh closely fall into i mean th- this show is frankly it's it's way more a family drama that encompasses a ghost story within it um but i think that's why we appreciate you know something in the style so much because we are allowed to become so invested in this family and in these ca- with and these characters in the same way that we would with any other well-written show there's just this other layer to it that is done so so seamlessly connecting into it and like you said yeah there's some startling moments but there there's maybe three like jump scares and i know like we probably haven't covered a number of the stuff from from it but there's like the the uh when they're at the cemetery um luke sees nell and then gets grabbed um there's the really creepy a ghost that comes out from under the desk and Nell screaming in the car. 
um, when they're on their way to the house. Um, those are like the times that I feel like I remember maybe jumping or being like really unnerved in that usual horror way. But this is definitely something special. And I, I'm, I mean, I love all areas of horror. Signing up for Shudder was like one, one of the things that I can't believe it took me this long to do it. But I love that there are things like this. And Mike Flanagan is really, really good at this style. But then even like he, I don't know if you've seen, um, I think he did Hush. Yeah, that was the one I watched with Kate Siegel and she's in the woods and everything. Yeah. And so that that's, you know, that's even done in in such a way that it's like, yeah, it's got like those slasher elements to it, but it has this extra element in in how well crafted it is. Um so and Netflix is I mean, this past year, like Netflix really, you know, hit hit hard with um with a lot of horror stuff. And I hope that they continue that. I've noticed Hulu is doing the same thing too, because back in October, Blumhouse thing. Yeah. They started that into the dark series and I have one of them saved to my watch list. And, you know, sometimes it depends, you know, if it's kind of like zombie apocalypse, I'm not quite as into it, but I'll check out out a lot of those probably. But yeah, horror is definitely, I wouldn't say making a comeback because it's always had this cult following, but I think it's being presented in a way that allow more people to get into it. You know, not everything is going to be like the Halloween series or Friday the 13th, where their intention is to provide all of these jump scares that sort of get you out of your seat, regardless of how well that works at times, you know, but yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned Get Out. I mean, I I can't believe I didn't see it in theaters. I actually finally saw Get Out maybe three weeks ago. I don't know what took me so long, but I, I was absolutely blown away by it. Like this style, just how the different levels of storytelling in it, like that it was so good. And then um, I was listening to your uh, 2018 uh, episode, uh, movies episode. Yeah. And um you guys mentioned Hereditary. Yes, I will be doing an episode on that soon, too. I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, like that is I went and saw that and it was the most unique experience uh, I've ever like encountered in, in a theater. There were two movies in 2018 that when I got to my car, I didn't put on the radio. I just drove. I, I sat there for a moment to just try and contemplate a little bit of what I saw. And then I drove home in silence. Like <laughs> it and the it, one of them was hereditary for very obvious reasons for anyone who has seen it. And the other was Annihilation. Like it that that it doesn't even that's not even really horror, but it's got horror elements to it. Yeah. It's got it's largely sci-fi and then A Quiet Place too. That's another one. A quiet Place. That was another one. Like it it it's definitely, yeah, it like horrors definitely always had its cult following and but it does go in these in these waves where it launches into the mainstream and like everyone gets super excited about it. And like when it came out a couple of years ago um, and, uh, you know, I'm super excited for uh, chapter two. Yeah. Um, and actually, speaking of Stephen King and Mike Flanagan, he's the one who's doing Dr. Sleep. He has not let me down yet, so <laughs> I I was 
ecstatic when I heard that he he was that he was doing Doctor Sleep. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to with horror yeah. this Pet year. Pet cemeteries coming. Yes, I am going to start reading that soon. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim, I think we I know, we could keep going. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could definitely keep going on not only this show but horror in yeah. general. And you know, this is a much longer episode than usual. So for the listeners, I will wrap it up here. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where you get talking about something you really like and you kind of forget how yeah. much time has passed. But, yeah. you know, hopefully the listeners have stuck with us for this long. For those who stuck <laughs> with us, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Geekdom Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Welcome to Geekdom. We also have a Facebook page, but Facebook is not quite as exciting as Instagram and Twitter right now, in my opinion. And <laughs> if agree. you want, you can rate and review the show on iTunes, Google, whatever your preference is, and that would be a huge help. But as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>